Welcome to the new episode of Entertainment Geekly, your guide to all things sci-fi, fantasy, and awesome. I'm Darren Franich. With me, not as always, is EW's Jeff Jensen, who is currently unavailable. But uh, I'm joined this week by our colleague, phoning in directly from his secret robot laboratory, Entertainment Weekly's Adam B. Very. Hi, Darren. Uh, you mean, you, you, can, you can tell everybody I've kidnapped Jeff. I'm yeah. holding him ransom, yeah, you... and... Uh, uh, I if I get a thousand Twitter followers in the next uh, week, uh, I will release him back to uh, the public at large. So, listeners, if you're hearing that, please start following Adam B. Very. He's a very interesting fellow, and he will kill Jeff Jensen if you don't follow him. This is this is a very I, serious. I um, Adam, thank you so much for joining me today. Uh, I, I'm very excited for this for this talk that we're about to have, listeners. We've both seen the movie Looper, the new time travel twisted plot drama noir. Uh, light, maybe Western edge to it, starring Joseph Gordon-Levitt and Bruce Willis. Uh, Adam, uh, can, can you just talk a little bit about what you thought of the movie, uh, just on broad strokes here, broad strokes. What did you think about broad Looper? Strokes. Well, I mean, first I should just, you know, I feel like I should, for anybody who hasn't seen the film, um, I'd sort of lay out the premise here, which is um, that in uh, the, the movie is set in the year 2044. Uh, society has pretty much begun to crumble all around itself, uh, and uh, crime is running rampant. Uh, the, one of the only few people that are successful are this class of mob assassins called loopers uh, who uh, assassinate people sent back in time from 30 years even further into the future when time tra travel had been invented. Uh, then... Uh, so it's a really great way for the mob to get rid of a body with no evidence. And the loopers live a high life. They, they, you know, they, they have the run of the town. They can do whatever they want until they have to close their loop by killing their future self and thereby wiping all trace of the entire murderous transaction from existence. And then they have 30 years to just live a high life of no responsibility at all, until the mob comes and gets them, zaps them back in time, and then they're killed by their past self. Um, and the film follows this looper played by Joseph Gordon-Levitt, whose name is Joe. And uh, when Joe uh, discovers his future self, uh, he unfortunately is played by Bruce Willis, who fights <laughs> back. And, uh, and, <laughs> and uh, when Bruce Willis fights back, he escapes, forcing younger Joe to... Uh, try and chase uh, his older self, older Joe, to kill him. Um, and uh, hijinks ensue from there. Hijinks uh, ensue from there. I Adam, that was such a good description. My nose is actually bleeding right now just from all the time travel <laughs> physics involved. Um, now, now uh, I, I want to just, just say right, right now for our listeners, uh, we've both seen the movie. We're going to be talking about it in a very spoiler-centric way. Uh, I, I, yeah. I, I think it's very difficult to sort of talk about this movie and, and where it kind of goes without, without saying that. So I, I would just say right now, before we get into our, our, our opinions about it, definitely this is a movie worth seeing. Definitely it's a movie that's very interesting. I recommend going to see it, and then the cherry on top of that will be coming back and listening to this podcast. Um, I I completely concur, especially uh, because uh, there's an element of this movie that um, the filmmakers have been very vigilant about keeping under wraps, 
and uh, for good reason. Yes, uh, yes. Discovering it, discovering it on your own is is part of the uh, yes. the pleasure of this movie. Yes. So. so now, having said that, spoiler alert: we will say what that thing Adam is referring to is, and that thing is Emily Blunt's farm. Yes. Uh, no, it's not. It doesn't sound as exciting as as it may as you may think, but. Um, it's really what's at that farm. Um, and again, for even more exposition, um, uh, the, the other element of this movie is the fact that in, in the future future, in the year 2074, uh, um, um, organized crime is run by this mysterious figure called the Rainmaker. And you hear older Joe talk about the Rainmaker as having ruined his life, killed his beloved, um, and uh, is essentially uh, having a reign of terror in uh, Earth of 2074. Um, and so when he, older Joe goes back in time, he de- he's determined to kill the Rainmaker as a child, and he has intelligence that lets him know, uh, within a sort of proximal sense, where this kid may be. And so he goes about trying to hunt this kid down, the kid ends up being Emily Blunt's son, um, who's played by a uh, then uh, a five-year-old kid named Pierce Gagnon. I'm pre- I'm not sure how to, if that's the right pronunciation. It it, um, it it may be Pierce Gagnon, perhaps. Yeah, perhaps. Perhaps, perhaps. He's based out of Atlanta, so who knows? Um, but uh, <laughs> <laughs> those Atlanteans. So um, the so the, the basically you you. Um, until you've seen the movie, you've likely never heard hide or hair of this kid at all. Because um, the other thing about Looper is that apparently in the future, people have started to develop a mild telekinesis. They can sort of float objects with their hands. That's yes, yes. This is, this is established in a line of throwaway dialogue early in the movie when Joseph Gordon-Levitt says, in the future, people have developed the ability to use telekinesis. It's then not referred to again for about an hour and a half. Just just yeah. throwing that out there. Just throwing that out there. Well, it, it certainly, you know, when it comes up again, you it comes up when, you, after you spend a fair amount of time with Emily Blunt's character, uh, whose name is Sarah, and, uh, you, you know, she's sort of met younger Joe at this point. Younger Joe is going through drug withdrawal. Um, they have, you know, one of those sort of terse classic standoffs of the classic anti-hero uh, being won over by a hard scrabble heroine who's making that on her own. Um, then all of a sudden you see her floating a, a pretty large, uh, I think it's a cigarette lighter. Exactly, and, yes. Um, uh, and then you're like, oh, yeah, that's right. People can do that. Um, and it sort of it, it presages the the real revelation about her son, whose name is Sid, that he is um, sort of uh, you know has taken a great leap forward in uh, human evolution and is essentially a, a true uh, super all powerful telekinetic. Akira-style Wonder Boy. Yeah, I mean, I mean, um, yeah, I, I mean, to get to get really nerdy and bless all the listeners who will get this reference, he's sort of the Franklin Richards of of the piece. It emerges that he's sort of like <laughs> this this ultimate uber mutant who is prophesied to you know save the world or destroy it. In this case, he becomes John Grisham's the Rainmaker, so he destroys it. Uh, it, it so yeah, and and this this happens in the context of him essentially crushing Garrett Dillahunt with his mind. 
mind, which is a pretty cool scene. I, th- I think it's I think it's fair to say. Uh, that is, it's a very cool scene. Um, so uh, now that we've explained the movie to everyone who's already seen it, who's listening to this podcast, <laughs> um, I would say to answer your question from like an hour ago, um, I really enjoyed this movie a great deal. I think I uh, I enjoyed it the more I thought about it, um, especially because uh, when I first walked out of the movie, I was a little thrown by the whole section of the film that takes place on Emily Blunt's farm, uh, because I had not been led to believe that that, the movie was going to be like that. Um, All of the trailers, you know, push it as this very sort of head-trippy, stylish thriller, but that section is much more of a sort of, you know, three-hander drama. It's, you know, it, as, as younger Joe sort of waits, knowing that eventually older Joe is going to come hunting for this kid, and um, younger Joe is just determined to kill him and, and claim his life for his own. Well, and, and this is what I really wanted to get into, Adam. Uh, you know, to give our listeners some background here, you know, after I saw the movie, I, you know, instant messaged Adam, as, as, as I tend to do, you know, over the course of a, of a given day, just, you know, saying, yes. saying hi, checking in, making sure he, he's eating well, all that stuff. Um, and, uh, you know, we, we were talking about this, and, you know, I had much more mixed feelings about Looper, and it was specifically for, uh, for that entire farm section, really for for what I kind of term the farm movie, because it feels like a very different movie to me. The first, I would say, 45 minutes of Looper, Adam, I, I think are, are frankly kind of astonishing. I mean, I think it really crafts this very interesting atmosphere that you know it's it's that rare kind of like future noir that actually doesn't seem like it's just trying to be blade runner i mean i, I really think that uh, the director Rianne johnson Rianne is am i am i pronouncing ryan, that right adam ryan. ryan ryan johnson uh, i i think that just like Part of it is that he creates a kind of cool visual quality, but he, even just I, I think that the attitude of the movie is very interesting. I've seen a lot of people compare it to the films of the French New Wave, which as a film nerd, I, I, I of course, always love films that remind me of, of the French New Wave. But even um, what, what, what I really enjoyed about the first 45 minutes, Adam, is that I, I think it, it really establishes Joe as a very interesting character. And, you know, um, uh, one of my favorite parts of the movie, it, 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 it's almost... It's almost sort of like the that famous up montage, but in action movie form. You see Joe, uh, basically in the first timeline, his loop comes back and he kills him. And Joe then lives the next 30 years of his life. And it's just, it's this really kind of like fun, you know, you, you see him as Joseph Gordon-Levitt kind of ages into a, into a you know, drug-addicted, bald wreck of a man who happens to look kind of like Bruce Willis. Then... <laughs> Then he, you know, he then meets, um, you know, this sort of, you know, the, he meets his his wife, and she kind of saves him, and they wind up living in, you know, the middle of some, uh, you know, futuristic mountain village in uh, Southeast Asia. But it, it's it's really just, I, I think, then when when you see his wife killed, you're you're really kind of tapped into. The, the twisted nature of the movie, which is somehow, you know, you have young Joe and old Joe. You kind of understand where both of them are coming from. Neither of them are really the hero or the villain. I mean, like, I think that, you know, you you, you kind of mentioned how Joe really is an anti-hero, and for a lot of the movie, he's just very focused on, you know, I, I want to get my money and, and run away. 
it sets all this up, and then there's an awesome scene between young Joe and old Joe that foregrounds all of these themes. You know, they're they're sitting in in the diner, and you know, old Joe says, you know, you're a you're a young stupid kid ruining his life, and old you know, young Joe says, well, you know, nuts to you, old man. I want to live my life my way. And I think then, the line is, I think is, why don't you do what old men do and die? Yeah, that is a great line. I mean, so much of the early part of that movie is filled with sharp dialogue like that. And then they go to this farm, and, and for me, the movie just kind of comes to a halt. And, you know, I, I, I realize that maybe that might have been the intention. And I, I certainly, as someone who, you know, likes a lot of noir movies, I certainly kind of like the, the idea behind that of, you know, yeah, we're going to send our characters to a remote location and kind of just let the emotions simmer for a while. But, man, that kid just really kind of ruined the movie for me. <laughs> Exact opposite action uh, reaction. Uh, the, the kid really kind of took the movie into a really surprising place for me. But I, before we get to that, I, I want to sort of jump back and talk about some of the stuff that you you brought up, which is that um, one of the things that I think uh, Ryan Johnson, although I do think that he should start pronouncing it Rianne, I think that's just far cooler. It, yeah, I mean, um, it just it just sounds like you know more his style. I mean, you know, he makes yeah. these really sort of like you know interesting out there movies. I, I I think he's more of a Rianne. I'm I'm gonna keep referring to him that way. Okay. Well, I mean, <laughs> Having, having met him and spoken with him several times, uh, as, as I now pick up that name that I just dropped, uh, I, I will tell you that he is, he is a Ryan. He is a, actually, you meet him and he's a, he's a tremendously relatable, thoughtful, smart, easygoing guy. And, you know, nowhere near, you know, you, you see his movies and you expect this sort of brooding hipster, you know, guy who speaks in clip sentences and smokes cigarettes and is, you know, really kind of, you know, wears long trench coats, and he's not. He's this sort of <laughs> sort of lovable guy. So, um, you know, so, but one of the things that I, I really liked about what Ryan do, does with this movie is um, he gives the future a feeling of texture and um, of, uh, of things being dirty and things being sort of cobbled together from, from years past. So not all the cars look like they're from the future. In fact, many of the cars are sort of scrapped together junkers from, like, you know, 2005. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. And, I, I, well, 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 and, I mean, you know, you know uh, to, to your point also, Adam, what's great about the future is it's not really the children of men future where it's it's very pointedly gritty and broken down. It, 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 feels, right. it feels to me, if anything, like what, what I kept on conjuring up was the feel of the vehicles in the first Star Wars where it, it feels very realistically broken down in some ways, you know? Yeah, and it's certainly, you know, it, it feels like it is a kind of, uh, extrapolation of the you know widening gulf, the statistically widening gulf between the haves and the have-nots right now. You know, if you sort of just trace those lines along their continuing trends for the next thirty years, you could very well end up with a future that um, looks quite similar to the one that's in Looper. Um, and uh, so, I really appreciated that. But I also just loved what he did with time travel. Um, there's this amazing sequence uh, involving a character played by Paul Dano, who's a sort of friend of, of Joe's. It's a, he's a fellow looper. And, you know, at one point, Paul Dano's loop gets closed. But um, instead of uh, having his future self fight him, his future self, um, I think, just sort of talks to him. 
mm-hmm. and and kind of makes him realize, oh my God, it's my future self. And Paul Dano, being Paul Dano, uh, is uh, just lets his future self go, which <laughs> creates a huge uh, uh, problem for uh, apparently the mob. You can't do that. You can't have two people who are the same pe- uh, person running around at the same time. We're never really explained why, but. You just get this feeling it's bad. Yeah. Well, and and, 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 and then and then and then that then leads into. Um, oh, 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 sorry. Yeah, yeah. Adam, please. Continue, uh, I was just gonna say, like, like, yeah. This this scene really is like probably a high point of the movie. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it really is one of the most. I've never seen anything like this in a movie before, where essentially they um, they capture Paul Dano and um, they get the future Paul Dano to come in by mutilating the body of young Paul Dano. Uh, first, they, they, they write, uh, like they create scars on his arm, telling him where to go, and then they just start removing body parts. And um, you see that, you see the older Paul Dano as he's frantically trying to escape. Suddenly he doesn't have a pinky, suddenly he doesn't have his hand anymore, and, and by the time he makes it to where he's supposed to be, he's lost his tongue, his feet have been taken off, his arms are almost gone. It is one of the most, like, just completely, wizardingly terrifying sequences I've seen in a sci-fi movie in a very long time. Absolutely. Well, well and, like, you know, I, I, I think that, you know, uh, one of the great things about it is that I, I really love how there's a certain sense of throwing time travel logic to the wind in service of just really creating something that is very interesting and very, I, I, I think, much, like, very primal, you know? Like, I, yeah. I, mean, I, I mean, like, you know, that was definitely a part of the movie where, you know, I, I think that at this point, if, if you're a sci-fi fan, there is this sort of sense that, you know, you expect a certain amount of internal logic. And, and in that moment, watching that scene, I wasn't really thinking about, you know, well, if he lost his arm here, how come he doesn't have it? Like you're just kind of watching this guy slowly losing body parts, and the great thing about it is you aren't actually watching any of the violence happen. But there's this one moment right at the end of the scene when you just see in the background like this sort of blood splatter around what appears to be what's left of Paul Dano, and I I, I think that I almost had to kind of like you know take take a breath for a second. I mean that's that's just yeah. one of the most terrifying sort of images I've, I've seen in a movie in in. Quite a long time. Um, yeah. And it really, what it does is also, it really just completely sets the stakes for what Joe is facing if he doesn't get older Joe uh, to come in and, and die. I, well, well, because. But- yeah, exactly. But so, but, but let me let me hit you with, with this, Adam, because you know, I, I I think that like you know, after after that scene, which was just so well done, when when you know you know exactly what will happen to young Joe if old Joe doesn't kind of like you know get in line and you know just just die already, old man. Yeah. I, it it feels to me like. You know, running along with that, I think, is this really interesting treatment of time travel, which, again, it feels to me like it's less interested in, in the basic mechanics of time travel. And, you know, when when you see the actual time machine, it kind of follows that 12 monkeys rule of this looks like something that was cobbled together on a, on a Mystery Science Theater 3000 set. I mean, it's almost kind of purposefully very low budget. Um, yeah, it looks like they went to some sort of industrial... Uh 
something or other. You exactly. Know, yeah. Yeah. And, and something or other. Exactly. And like that looks like it could be a time machine. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Well, I, I, you you know you know you you always you always uh, remember how originally in Back to the Future Bob Gale and Robert Zemeckis were going to make the time machine a refrigerator, which isn't necessarily any less crazy than a, a DeLorean. Um, but what what I like about how he uses time travel is that I feel like he really is getting at something interesting with the character of Joe. I, I think he's getting at you know this this idea of you know how do the decisions we make now affect us years from now you know what's the difference between you know living in the now and planning for the future and a lot of other things that if, if, if I try to describe them I, I can only make them sound flowery but those themes are there and then I, I feel like the second we're introduced to the child and everything happening on the farm I think that all of that setup kind of gets lost because a lot of the back half of the movie basically comes down to when will Joseph Gordon-Levitt decide to uh, decide to basically be a hero and save this adorable little kid. And I'm 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 being sort of harsh in my characterization of that, but but as I think back on it, that's really what it comes down to. And even how ultimately, you know, the the, the ultimate decision that Joseph Gordon-Levitt makes in the movie, um, and this is of course, you know, this is this is this is the big spoiler for all those who have who haven't left already, is that he just you know it, you reach that moment when old Joe is about to shoot uh, Emily Blunt which will then set the child down the path of becoming the evil person that he was always going to be, maybe. Very confusing. In that moment, young Joe decides to kill himself, which, of course, makes old Joe disappear. Now, this feels to me as if we started in a realm of noirish, interesting moral ambiguity, and we end with a literal martyr and a, a sacrifice. And it just it, it feels like the moral stakes somehow become simpler as the movie goes along. Um, but I, I, I mean, you know, uh, I know that you know you were you felt a lot differently about the the sort of child's role in, in the movie. I mean, am I am I, am I missing something here, or am I am, am I being too harsh on that subplot? what you're saying you're, you know it basically the movie uh, starts off feeling like it's going to be one kind of movie which is this you know very you know smart grim science fiction film really like truly science fiction film and then it, it becomes almost like a western in a way because mm -hmm. it you know becomes very spare very quiet um you know there's no if you sort of walk into the movie during these farm scenes, you would not you would not necessarily even know that it was in the future. Um, but um, what I would say is two things. One, um, the 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 actor who is, plays this kid, Sid Pierce Gagnon or Gagnon or um, P A R S Gagnani, right? Whatever. Yes. Um, yes. Is, 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 um, Pietro S Gagnani. Yes. Yes. A fantastic <laughs> young actor. Um, is uh, what I, I thought was a revelation because. Um, I I was immediately struck by his presence and how um, connected he was to you know just the sort of reality emotional realities of the of the scene to get kind of accurate for a second and um, and certainly you know you're not he's introduced sort of slyly he kind of shows up and and at first you just think it's the cute kid and then it sort of as the movie progresses and you get a better understanding of what's going on here, you, you begin to understand that this is probably the kid that will become the Rainmaker, but you're not entirely sh even sure why he becomes the Rainmaker or what makes him special. 
Um, hold up, hold up, hold up one second there, Adam. I, I have to, I have to disagree with you there. And I, admittedly, okay. I, 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 admittedly, I, I saw this movie the other day. You saw it many months ago, so I saw it's, it in June. Yeah, it's, it's, it's a little fresher for me. One of the first times you see the kid, his, it's his silhouette in the door of the barn, backlit as if he's emerging out of the gates of heaven. I, I don't think there's anything too subtle about his presentation <laughs> in the movie. <laughs> So that's, that, that could be fair. My memory is that um, he, he, you first meet him, you don't even see his face, that, you know, uh, that younger Joe is lying on, the, on yes. um, Emily Vaughn's porch, and he kind of shows up, uh, walks up to him and says, hey, I'm a kid, want to come play or something. Mm-hmm. But that, I, I did not remember the gates of heaven. In any <laughs> event, um, I, I, I remember just being really captivated by him. I, I remember finding him to be one of the most impressive young actors I'd seen in a long time. And then once you learn, and then once you, be, you understand how powerful he really is, and he's sort of like, he, in a way, he's kind of like that all-powerful kid in the Twilight Zone um, who, who can sort of do anything he wants with his mind, but in a much more sort of realistic sense of, you know, he's essentially raw. He has no control over his power. Just when he gets angry... He, you know, things levitate and and human beings uh, just essentially explode. Which, which, um, which, which I I think is an interesting uh, it's an interesting idea for a movie. I, you know, Adam, like, uh, have you actually read any of Philip K. Dick's novels? I mean, you know, he this is the author who then you know his work became Minority Report and Blade Runner. But have you read any, no, any of the not, books? I am, unfortunately, I am not well read in the Philip Dick. Well, well, I mean, well, I mean, well, I mean, you know, he's he's a guy who he he was often writing his books very very quickly, and I, I think it's fair to say, like, it's hard to say that he ever really wrote a perfect book. But mm-hmm. one thing that's it's great about him is that his books are always filled with ideas. What's Bad about him is that a lot of his books kind of go one idea too far, and that's kind of what I, that's kind of what, what what I felt like here is that you know I think that you're set up with a movie that has a really interesting treatment of time travel and the future, and it really personalizes it in a way that I really don't think we've seen in in, in a very long time, and then all of a sudden the third act is. But enough about time travel. Let's talk about telekinesis for a second here, okay, people? Like, let's and and you know, I, I want to say that this is one of the things that I like about Looper is that you know, I'd I'd rather have a movie that's overstuffed with ideas than absolutely undernourished, you know. But I, 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 I like uh, Total Recall, the Total Recall remake. Yes, yes. Let's let's never Speaking mention Philip K. Dick adaptation. Yeah, let's let's never mention the the Total Recall remake if if, if possible. But yeah, I, I I just I I do sort of wonder if. Maybe part of the reason why I'm reacting this way is because it is so rare to see a movie that it really does feel split down the middle. I mean, I don't think Emily Blunt arrives on the scene until maybe the the 50 minute mark. Is is that right? Is yeah. that yeah? I mean, I, she, she definitely comes in very late, and you have and you've not met her at all up until that point. Yeah, you, had, you know, you, you don't even know. She exists. Yeah, and, and no. she's she's. I mean, she, she she's great, by the way, in the in the movie. Yeah. I, I I feel like you know we're talking a lot about the other actors, but uh, I mean, I think that you know she's this is her doing a southern accent as sort of a you know ex hooker party girl turned badass farm lady, and I I I thought she did a, a great job. I just I don't know overall for a movie that had such kind of potential at the start, I found myself. Oh, like really walking out of there, wishing that it had, it had maybe stuck the landing just a little bit more. Well, here, let me try this on you then. Um, Hit me. One of the things that I really appreciated about the movie was, you know, they they went through all of this effort to make 
uh, Joseph Gordon-Levitt look more like Bruce Willis. You know, mm-hmm. they gave him blue contacts. They changed sort of the bridge of his nose and his upper and lower lips. And um, you know, I think they also some, somehow gave him more of a of a um, Bruce Willisian squint. Yes. Um, and you know, and Joseph Gordon-Levitt himself worked hard to sort of adapt to the vocal patterns of uh, you know of Bruce Willis. Um, but ultimately. Uh, you know, I it wasn't like I was sort of bowled over by how completely identical those two actors looked in the movie. In, in fact, um, in, in, to a certain degree, it felt slightly distracting. But ultimately, I didn't really care because I thought that the movie itself was about um, how uh, human beings change over time. You know, we become different people as we get older. Who Who Joe was in 2044 is a very different person than who Joe becomes by 2074. Um, and uh, so when they are, you know, confronting themselves in that diner, they're the same guy, but really they're just completely two different guys. Which, and, and, and I, I, absolutely, and, and I, I think that's maybe the most interesting part of that diner scene. I mean, I, I, I've seen some critics say that, that for them, the two never really feel like the same character, and in a sense, like, that kind of feels like the point to me. I, I, I think yeah. you're, you're exactly right, Adam. I mean, you sort of have, in this interesting way, you almost kind of have Joseph Gordon-Levitt playing more of maybe what Bruce Willis was back in the day than necessarily how Bruce Willis plays his character in, in this movie. But the, the sort of, sort of to kind of extrapolate that theme to the whole farm section. Oh. Here, we go. <laughs> Here we go. Here we go. Uh, one of the things that Emily Blunt's character talks a great deal about is how she is going to raise her son right. She, you know, she is... Um, you know, determined to make sure that he becomes a good person. And, um, and I think you pointed out in our um, I Am conversation that maybe she plays that hand a little too hard in the writing of it, you know, that she, you know, sort of that element of the story of her saying, he will be raised right if I'm here or something to that effect um, is maybe overly played. And I will grant you that, but the sort of larger point for me was that you know, here's this kid who is essentially has the potential to become Uber Hitler or I don't know Uber JFK. I'd like to pick up two you know historical examples, like either a guy who becomes you know a, a terror for the entire planet or a guy who works really hard to make the planet a better place, um, and also sleeps with Marilyn Marilyn Monroe. <laughs> so um, the uh, um, and really, you know, all this kid has going for him is uh, the fact that he has a, a dedicated mother. Um, and when, uh, we, you know, we sort of all un- realize that the sort of mythology behind the Rainmaker, that he saw his mother killed um, in front of him, that he has some sort of glass jaw, all sort of uh, comes together through the confrontation that older Joe has with them in which he ends up, uh, possibly, you know, you, you, you get the impression he will kill Emily Blunt, the shot will somehow shatter uh, the kid's jaw, the kid will then destroy older Joe and grow up to be the Rainmaker, sort of plays into that, uh, it plays into the sort of theme about the Joes as well, which is you 
you know, over time, you can become a whole different kind, all different sorts of people. You can become Hitler, or you can become uh, Super JFK. Um, but it really is about some of the choices that you make along the way, and some of the circumstances that you're faced with. And so, if I were, and and, and it, that's my best effort to con- con- connect the two parts of the movie, is that the the sort of theme of um, you know nurture versus nature, and and um, and people changing over time is kind of played out in this sort of grandiloquently science fiction way with the sort of cre- the the character of this super powered five year old. Um, yeah, I, that, I, I, and then and then sort of the sort of like the button to it is that younger Joe sees this you know happening and says that the only way that I can affect change in this kid's life is to essentially end mine, which is very bleak. <laughs> yes. Um, um, and so that, that, that'd be my argument. I, I think that I think that is a fair argument. I, I think it certainly does tie the two halves of the movie together more effectively than the movie itself does, as far as I'm concerned. But I, I, I also I, I do also think though, Adam, that you know, sort of to your point, what makes the Joes interesting is that you really see how Bruce Willis has changed from when he was Joseph Gordon-Levitt. And what what makes that montage great is that, you know, it doesn't really simplify that change for you. I mean, you know, the the rest of the movie does sort of, like, fall hard on this notion of, well, like, you know, this one thing happened, he met this one woman, and she rescued him. But I think that in that montage, you get more sense of how, you know, this is the grand sweep of someone's life and how certain decisions they make may reverberate or may not. And somehow... And this happens so often in time travel stories, Adam, and it, it may be something that, that, that's baked into the con- in, in, into the premise to a certain extent. There's just this shrinking of ambition until the until by the end, the only defining aspect of this boy's life will come down to whether or not Emily Blunt raises him on a farm, and and that's <laughs> that that is sort of where and you know I, I, again I I think that this plays into the movie is by its very nature a, a, a movie that's supposed to get more personal personalized and more intimate until you really are just left with these four characters on a you know on the back lot set of north by northwest with planes as far as the eye can see and i i can i i can certainly respect that and you know as speaking as someone who knows for a fact that ryan johnson is much smarter than i am i'm i I, i'm intrigued to see the movie again now that i know where it goes but I, i i do sort of feel most of all, like, you know, whereas Brick was a movie that I think really just throughout uh, kept on playing with its central premise, this idea of a high school noir in a way that never really felt like it ran out of in- interesting new twists and turns. Looper fundamentally to me feels to me like uh, an incredibly packed in first hour and then they go to the farm, which also ruined Walking Dead season two. <laughs> <laughs> But um, uh, you know, farms. Uh, farms. Oh God. Yeah. Yeah. What else? What else have farms ruined in uh, pop culture recently? No, we love we, we love and support farms here at Entertainment Geekly. Um, yeah. Adam, uh, uh, we have to wrap this up, but uh, this this was a real fun conversation. I, I'm, I'm hoping that listeners. I'm hoping you've seen the movie. I'd love to hear. We, we'd love to hear from you what you thought of it. Certainly a very interesting movie. Certainly, as Adam pointed out, much better than the Total Recall remake. Um, but uh, yeah. a- Adam, I, I, I want to say. Thanks very much for uh, calling in. Hopefully uh, you'll get enough followers to release Jeff Jensen from whatever horrifying James Bond villain trap you, you, you've currently set him in. 
Yes, uh, that, um, you know, part of it is punishment for how much time I had to spend listening to you guys talk about Big Brother. But <laughs> really, it's, it really, I just want a lot of followers. That's all I'm asking. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You've, you've, you've just won over our entire listenership, Adam. Um, but uh, thanks very much. Uh, as always, uh, I'm Darren Franich. Thanks for listening, everybody.